Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Recovery Central Church's podcast. Morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. And we are one down this week. We have no Matt. Matt has COVID. COVID? COVID, yeah. You two haven't got COVID, have you? I haven't got COVID. I was tested, like, literally two hours ago. Two hours ago, and you didn't have it then? I didn't have it then, but, you know, I've been on a bus since, so who well, knows? Well, who knows? Now, I tested this morning, first thing, and the bus driver decided to go on a magical mystery tour. Because mm-hmm. the 17 comes around the back of Small Heath. Yeah. and then turns left to come back in towards town. But this driver knew better. He turned right. <laughs> so, about 15 minutes in to this wonderful mystery tour, someone said to him, do you know where you're going? <laughs> to the bus <laughs> And then to cap it all, he says, of course I know where I'm going. And then promptly turns around at the next roundabout, goes all the way back down, and then finally I find myself at Borsley Roundabout. So that's a rather interesting route. He might have been on his way to get a COVID test. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, stop the whole bus for a PCR test. Yeah, he knows. I think the reality is that at some point we're all going to get it, really. Unless you're very lucky. I'm amazed I haven't got it so far. Oh, no, yeah. Because I've been on public transport all the way through. Okay, I've worn a mask and I've used hand sanitizer and I've followed social distancing where I can and I've not been going into shops at peak times and stuff like that. But and that's probably why then, isn't it? However, yeah. merely getting on a bus, you could catch it. I suppose. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you saying that hand sanitizer. I feel that that message is not being like imposed as much as it was first time around. You hear masks, no. but you don't hear wash hands mm. as much no, as you. No, I do think looking at the whole thing that actually, if we look at this through a recovery lens, a lot of the COVID stuff is about personal responsibility. Mm. I'm very conscious of doing the right things and whatnot because if I don't, I can't go and see my family because my father's unwell, and it would be too big a risk. However, in general, I do all those things and I wear a mask and all of this and all of that because I don't want to be giving it to everyone else. I don't want to come in unknowingly on a Tuesday morning to record this and give it to you two. Mm. I don't want to be giving it to people on the bus. I don't want to be going to a theatre rehearsal and infecting the whole cast. And that is about personal responsibility. It is about me doing the right thing. I've got to be honest, like here, the second part of what you said now, my belief is that a lot of people, that's not the agenda. It's the first part of what you said. Mm. It's about they don't want to be isolated in their house for five or ten days. I know the days keep moving, the days about how many times you have to isolate. Well, none of that makes any sense, does it? Yeah. You know, what I'm saying is that you mentioned COVID and it's like you're mentioning you're part of a political party. <laughs> it's like you're making like an allegiance of some sort on, on what party you belong to. Have you been vaccinated, Ronnie? Yeah, I've been back. Yeah, yeah, I've had three needles. You get the people anti-vaccinated. Why did you get vaccinated? Yeah, it's just a lot easier just to get vaccinated so you can go away and otherwise you're just going to face all sorts of barriers to do this and barriers to do that if you've not had this and that. For, for me, it was just get it done to keep my life simple. You know, I went to Istanbul without my vaccine. I couldn't have gone there. So, you know, I needed my hair transplant. <laughs> So Need, not that there's no needed. personal interest there. <laughs> I had to have it. I had to have it. Get the get the jabs done. So it's more just like convenience and stuff like that. And you know, I don't want to be sitting in the house for ten days. And regardless of what who thinks what's real and what's not and stuff, it's just get it done. Life's easier. And it does get connected to politics, and it's like a hot potato. It's like the minute you mention it, people dive on it. That's what I'm um, saying. In the same way as Brexit, the minute you mention it, people dive on all it. Over it yeah. And the problem with COVID is, I suppose, we've all got to have it in our daily lives because it is in our daily lives and it's going to stay there for quite a long time. I can't see it going anywhere for the 
foreseeable future? No, I mean, certainly not, because we've got it still flying around. There'll be another flare-up later in the year. Another variant. Another variant, and so on and another so forth. Another variant, another needle. But it's like any situation. For me, the whole crux of practising recovery, a lot of it boils down to step one, two, three, twelve, in the sense that when something comes up, is it something that I can cope with and be responsible around and do my best about? Mm. Do I need to take advice? Do I need to mm. consider the needs or, or the way I treat other people? And how do I be responsible about this situation? And also, how do I react or not react? Mm. And the whole point about, I won't say becoming manageable, because of course, Neil, you have your thing about unmanageability. We are all unmanageable in some way in recovery. Of course we are. But for me, it's this thing about learning to cope with things that I would formerly have just put my head in the sand about. Mm. So something like COVID, I have to respond in some way. Am I going to be responsible and wear a mask? Am I going to use hand sanitizer? Am I going to do a test every time I go out where I'm working with other people? Of course I am. Because if I don't, I'll put my head in the sand and say, oh, I won't get it, I'll be all right. Mm. And I'm guilty of that. I've got to talk my truth. I've been blissfully ignorant around this stuff. I've got to say it in that kind of bittersweet way. The first time I took a COVID test is when I walked into the organisation that I went through. I mean, that's when I took my first COVID test. And, you know, up until the point when I've walked into changes, like my life before that was very irresponsible yeah. to a big degree anyway and totally unmanageable in that active addiction part of stuff. But I still had a little bit of clarity and I went and got my jabs. I went a little bit longer than I should have taken, but mm. I did finally get them taken. And the truth be known, because I was living with like family members, i.e. sister and mother, was yeah, the reason yeah. why. Yeah, yeah. So I've got to be really honest about this stuff. And I, but coming here and living in a household with other members and everyone having different viewpoints, and like, I have to take some responsibility around that as well because people have got things going on in their life and. They, they really don't want to be stuck in the house for five days, and I'll tell you again. And at the top of that, they just don't want to get the virus because they don't want to be giving it to other people. But what I'm struggling with is that it's the fear around it. When people just, I think that like they're bringing it onto another level of fear. It sets something off in me, and then I start to feel totally unmanageable, and it strikes up something. And what I do, which I know is wrong, I'll start to throw it back. Yeah. Well, what are you doing? I think this thing about responsibility, because this is now what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. So long as I'm responsible for me, and I don't try and be responsible for other people, and if I react to other people, I take time to gauge that reaction rather yeah. than just throwing it at them. And when I do screw up, I take responsibility for screwing up, yeah. then actually it would be okay. But I think the miasma that we're walking through at the moment Okay, we don't talk about politics on here, but COVID is necessarily a political thing, isn't mm. it? Is that everybody's talking about it. You've got an awful lot of really off-key behaviour going on around it. Well, we know of something recently, mm. right, don't we? Yeah, where yeah, yeah. self-interest has been put before actually safely testing and being responsible around a positive test. Mm. And there's a lot of that going on anywhere and everywhere and when it's flying about all around me and I feel like I'm the only one being responsible that's where my head gets set off and I want to fight the world yeah and I have to take it back in and just say yeah this is what I'm doing this yeah. is all I need to do and if they're going to do that on the bus whatever maybe I'll change the time I get on the bus maybe I'll change the time I go to work maybe I'll change this maybe I'll walk this part because I don't want to be like that 
It's like this Twitter madness. We use Twitter for this, but we use Twitter in a controlled way. It's yeah, only yeah. on the recovery platforms yeah. within Twitter. But there's some really mad stuff on there, and you can get swept up in it. Yeah, really. Like the anti-vax thing you mentioned, you can get swept up in that, and you start believing shit that's obviously not true. <laughs> I just like to keep things simple, I do. So, you know what, if I look after my side of the street, and I do as much as I can to protect myself and others, you've got no control over other people, let's face it, at the end of the day. No, absolutely not. It's mm. just a case of you doing what you can. Don't yeah. get yourself in a spin and mm. start worrying about what other people are doing and stuff. But Which you know just proves that alcoholics and addicts should be running the country. Yeah. yeah, because if we were, then we'd be promoting <laughs> personal responsibility, not overreacting to other people. Okay, there'd be a touch of madness involved, oh, and yeah, I think yeah, anyone yeah. being made Chancellor of the Exchequer could cause a number of untold problems. Mm. But really, alcoholics and addicts should be running the country because then we'd be promoting this responsible attitude mm -hmm. Mm. towards something like COVID, which actually is a collective responsibility. Mm. Yes. Because while I can be personally responsible and personally responsible and get exasperated by what's around me, something like this is a collective responsibility. Mm. It's not time for not in my backyard. Mm. It's not time for let them eat cake because they're poor. Mm -hmm. It's not time for let's post lots of fake pictures of the no one in A&E. Mm. It's not a time for lying on social media. It's a time for being collectively responsible. Mm. I think if it's going to be like an addict or an alcoholic, They've got to be between 30 and 60 days because really? they're on a pink, fluffy cloud. And, the thing is and nobody, they know everything. We know it all. Nobody makes logical decisions <laughs> in the first two years. Well, this is what I'm trying to say as well. It's just like, I'm glad you two guys have said exactly what you said. Ronnie's just saying, keep my side of the street clean. Keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it moving. Yeah. So I'm in four months and I had to bring some stuff to my sponsor yesterday and he was saying exactly, in the mirror, exactly what you two guys are saying. And it's all in the serenity prayer, but I claim yeah. to understand nicely and accept the things I can change. It's all there. Yeah, the serenity prayer. Yeah, it's all there. Because I'm getting myself caught up in stuff now. I've got no control. Can't control no. people blazing. There's a little trick about the serenity prayer that my sponsor taught me. I think it was my sponsor taught me. I've got a trick. God. Grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change. Is step one, two, three. Mm. Courage to change the things I can. Four to nine. Mm. Wisdom to know the difference. Then eleven to twelve. Mm. And yeah. it's as simple as that. Twelve steps done. <laughs> it doesn't mean the twelve steps are done. The, this is when you've actually sat down and been through the twelve by twelve of the big book. <laughs> Thank but, you, buddy. I don't need to do no more now, innit? I'm sponsored. I'm, I can go and sponsor people now, can't I? I suppose that we accept that COVID is there. And there's only so much that we can do as individuals. And like I said, take responsibility yeah. for the stuff you can. Yeah, that's and, it, isn't it? Be of use to your fellow man and woman. And yeah. that's the way you're being of use by being responsible. Oh. It's really hard there, isn't it, in the mornings when your fellow housemates are making a smoothie at seven o'clock for someone who's not getting up till nine o'clock and he wakes you up and you <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, the perils of communal living. I had to stick a deep breath. Mm. <laughs> That's all right. Sorry, did I wake you up? Not at all. And she will it's be listening. It's really difficult, isn't it, when your head is saying, I really want to shut you out of the fucking house and set you on fire, when when actually you're there saying, oh, no, it's all right. It's really? All right. Uh, at the first floor window at that. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
You're going out the window. No, it's all right, really. No, I was getting up anyway. Fine. I've literally just said my prayers in the morning. I've asked God to help me through the day, so this is where I need to help. Neil, you've had your hospital experience this morning. Hospital experience. Bit of my unmanageability again. Never. Just a tad. Rushing. You know, leaving the house late. I've been expecting the bus to be like on time when it should be on time. But then I've gone to the wrong bus stop. <laughs> we could do a whole new podcast and just on Neil's Neil's unmanageability. We could turn it into a character. <laughs> it was only two minutes. <laughs> That's what the videos are gonna be then, isn't it? Yeah. Neil gets unmanageable. Episode four hundred and thirty-four. I've gone to the bus. It started from the day before when my housemate's saying, Yeah, you go to this bus stop. I'm going, Yeah, 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 I know the one. The one where we it turns off it. And he said to me, No. He said, No, not that one. And I said, No, no, I know the one you're talking about. And I thought I knew the one, but it weren't the right one. And the bus went right past me as so I put my hand out. <laughs> and then I said, there's a 41 coming. I've gone, no, you've got to go around now. And I thought, ah. Oh. I didn't get to the hospital appointment. Hopefully, I'm about to ring my GP. My GP surgery, to be fair, is I feel pretty fortunate with him at the moment. Oh, you're lucky. It's sad that it's become such a lottery. This is something I was talking about last week, the way that the third sector is not only there to support drug and alcohol services, the third sector is now expected to provide services which are not coming from the council and the NHS. And let's face it, Changes is a charity. Yeah. And yet it's being expected to fill gaps yeah. that have been defunded elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And when you're going to a GP, you are getting a different level of service depending on where you live or where you're registered. Mm -hmm. And actually, those of us who come through this service we depend upon the service more than we do on the things that are supposed to be there mm. for everyone. They're looking thinking, well, I've gone to people, that other people can pick up that mess there, they, they can be great. And it's back to responsibility again, yeah. isn't it? It's right. that we have to be responsible around things that perhaps there isn't the same expertise in the NHS as there is in changes. Of course there isn't, mm. because our expertise is specific. Yeah. And you can't expect that to be there everywhere else. However, it's assumed now that organisations like Changes will plug certain gaps. Yeah. And so when it comes to going to a GP, you're having that experience, Neil. Ronnie's having his experience. I get my experience. I've literally just changed, but I'm looking forward to Well, I say looking forward. I'm looking forward to making an appointment at my new GP. I've had to change it after... What, what state is your life in, Ronnie, that you're looking forward to a GP appointment? No, because I'm having a nightmare. It's been nine months I've been avoiding because I didn't tell them that I'd moved to a different area. Oh, and was, oh right. And I was trying to find a gap where I wasn't waiting for results from the hospital or waiting for an appointment here and I got my meds all of it. So I'm just hoping that this one's a nice practice. It's just up the road from me, so fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. That's my life. But you have to pick the small ones these days. Well, my last one, the last dilemma I had about ordering my prescription on the phone, my repeat prescription, she checked my age and she says, no, 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 no. She said, it's not for you. You can't order it on the phone. You've got to do email. And I said, well, why is that then? Well, why? And she went, you're not in the age bracket where you're allowed to order on the phone. It's, it's, it's old or disabled people. She says, well, my mental health is not very good. It's true what you're saying there, but I never really took it as deeply as you're saying there. Like, you call it the third... We are the third sector. Right, the third sector. As a charitable sector. Yeah, I knew I knew the government was starting to realise that the 12-step programme and other recovery aids 
a better way of maybe dealing with people with addiction. I'm starting to really understand what you're saying there, that they're asking changes and such like organisations. If you look at the Carol Black report and the recommendations in there that were sent to a select committee, mm. that report was a specific expert report detailing how services could be supported in terms of treating addiction. Mm. And yet the real job on addiction is being done by organisations like this one. Yeah. And for people who are, let's spin it towards who we really do this podcast for, it's for people who are not sure about rehab or maybe on their way in or who are in or who've just left. Someone's partner or child or parent or whoever takes them to a GP and says, what do we do about this drinking yeah. two bottles mm. of vodka a day? Mm. Yeah. The GP will say, oh, you can try this and try this and try this. And they end up with one appointment every six weeks where they're given a drink diary. That is not going to work. That's they might go to one AA meeting or one NA meeting. If it doesn't click straight away, they might not keep going yeah. back. Mm. The thing about having the rehab thing, that certainly the way that it's done that changes, is that people are given that degree of exposure to AA and NA which means they can't just turn off from it straight away. They can't just say, oh, it'll never work. Whereas if all you get is one appointment from a GP with a practitioner somewhere, of course they could say it'll never work. No, mm. That's not for me, yeah. And the persistence has to come from here, and it's like anything else, actually, isn't it, in terms of what we're talking about with responsibility. We have to do it, because someone's got to do it. Because you've only got to look, we'll get to the media in a minute, and Ronnie's spiel, but you've only got to look in the day-to-day and there is stuff turning up every so often where they're saying that levels of harmful drinking have risen exponentially via lockdown and they are now up higher, which means that there's a great backlog of people to supposedly drink. Or, who knows, how many people have died. Anyway, Ronnie, your turn now. Media, what have you found? <laughs> oh, you want a jingle? Right, OK, I'll put something in. I'll put yeah, a jingle we'll get a, a news at 10 jingle, please. <laughs> but, yeah, so, what I've decided, I've obviously been looking through the drug and alcohol news and stuff like that. And each week, I'm going to pick something out that we can have a little talk about. And this week's feature is from the Bolton News... And it reads, family man, not known drug user, died of alcohol and drugs. Connor has ruled that although a 33-year-old builder's death was alcohol and drug related, he was not a known drug user. And I think that that headline itself just goes to show that there's people out there that you could have just assumed, or they're making out that they're not up to much, and there's so much more going on behind the scenes in a lot of people's live and it's hidden away isn't it and, mm, and yeah. stuff like that so I mean he's 33 so a young builder so you should imagine he's in good shape and he's died of drugs and alcohol yet his family and friends and he thought he was a, a light drinker there are many cases aren't there of people who develop complaints with their internal organs that they don't know about because mm-hmm. with cirrhosis you don't actually go yellow straight away you can actually have irreparable damage before you go yellow. Yes, you can. And also, it's a complete lottery, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When I think of it, I drank like I drank, and I eventually landed at 45, and I was in trouble. I've known people go 10 years longer than that and not be in medical trouble. 
I've known people be refused treatment in their 30s because they haven't got anything abnormal going on with their mm. liver mm. or with their kidneys. And there's nothing in their blood tests to suggest that they are drinking like they say they are. And then you get people who die of cirrhosis at 26. Well, this is interesting you say that because the doctor wrote a statement saying that he did suffer from asthma but had no underlying health conditions. Great overdose then? It would appear so, wouldn't it? But You could overdose on a cocktail. Yeah. Yeah, too much cocaine and alcohol is the one, the two things that go together, people use together the most, but actually it's very lethal together because it creates another... Potentially, yeah. Yeah, potentially, yeah, very lethal. It's an interesting representation, though, because if you think about the media angle, that they're actually saying in there, not everyone who dies of alcohol and drug-related conditions is carrying about a see-through blue plastic bag Mm -hmm. with several cans in it and then sitting down on a bench in Moseley Village all day Mm -hmm. arguing with themselves and urinating in their trousers. I mean, I know that's a hell of a stereotype, but I know people who come from a certain perspective mm-hmm. who think that that's what alcoholics are. Of course. They think that it's the totally. dirty clothes and the staggering about in public spaces with a brown paper bag or mm. the blue or white carrier. Mm. And it's that perception which will stop that gentleman, if, like, if he kind of knew that there was an issue ongoing issue that he was having with drink and drink. It will stop people like him, that builder, that poor man who passed, and, and other people who know that they've got a problem going on from going to seek help. Because them themselves might have that perception and they yeah. believe that their family members, because maybe they've been around a dinner table and saying, oh, did you see that guy, you know, that one who stays in, he's always by the park bench and he, mm-hmm. and like everyone's and it's like, oh, I can't admit this because if I admit this, I'm admitting I'm like that. Yeah. And it's part of the stigma and the stigma what comes from the social media stuff and, and all these different viewpoints what people have got and what stop people from seeking help. Absolutely. And also we're back to responsibility again on this because you get plenty of people who know that their drinking or, or drug use is dangerous. Mm. And when they see it happening to someone else, they use it to deflect. It won't happen to me. I'm not as bad as him. He's not me. Oh, well, we told him. And they create this false narrative around it. Oh, we told him he had to stop. Oh, you didn't know, did you? It's trouble is, it's like you go out with your mates again in this article. He was out with his friends watching the Euro finals with a close friend and, and was offered stuff which his friends said he didn't see him take. It's that kind of, oh, we're all out with the lads and this is what goes. Was it a one-off? And he just couldn't handle it. It's just crazy, isn't it? And it also goes on to mention an argument with his partner. Do people decide that that's the easiest way to get around a difficult issue is to have a drink or have drugs and stuff like that? Well, to be fair, having a drink is what a lot of normal people, in inverted commas, mm-hmm. i.e. earthlings, non-alcoholics, earthlings, yeah. what a lot of them do is, yes, they will sit down mm. and get the scotch out if someone's died yeah. or if there's been a shock or whatever. Yeah. The difference between them and us is they won't carry on drinking it the next morning. <laughs> Well, this is it, isn't it? <coughs> but when people respond to very powerful emotional moments in their lives, like divorce, death, mm-hmm. and there are various other things that could trigger yeah. people over into drinking like an alcoholic mm-hmm. or using like an addict, yeah. but that doesn't necessarily mean, mean it's going to go on forever. Mm-hmm. And what may have happened there, Ronnie, I'm only hypothesising, mm-hmm. but what may have happened is 
he went on a bender because of what happened with his partner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And because he wasn't built up to professional alcoholism, it's yeah. like me saying, I was an awful drunk. No, I wasn't. I was a fucking good drunk. I was drunk all the fucking time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was really good at it. I got drunk three times a day at the end. And also, I was that good at it, it didn't kill me. <laughs> Which is a crazy way to think, because I thought that way when I was drinking. But if this guy has not built up the kind of resistance that those of us that are drinking half a bottle of Glens at seven o'clock for breakfast build up. And you've got two factors, an argument then it knocks with your him partner over. and the Euros with your An argument, the Euros, like, a load of coke and a load of booze, mm. it could quite simply be an overdose. Mm. And this happens to normal people mm. and it happens to alcoholics and it happens to addicts. But the tragic thing there is that someone young has died. Yeah. And of course yeah. everyone wants an explanation. Yeah. And let's not forget the other side of stuff, wet the baby's head Promotion in work, mm -hmm. yeah. Big windfall, you know. The Arsenal, the yeah. Arsenal winning. Well, Sheffield Wednesday won't be winning, so we're better <laughs> off talking about your team than mine. You know, all all like good stuff, and then all of a sudden we take the good and make it into the bad, and we can make the bad and make it even worse. It's insidious. It's always an excuses, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. An excuses. It's always an excuse, never a reason. Yeah. If, if the day ends in why then? I've just found something, as, as we're talking about media stuff, I've just completely by accident found this astonishing American article. I don't know who these propagandists are. There is life after addiction. Most people recover. See, people wouldn't understand, but really that's... Um... Centres for Disease Control and Prevention reported 101,623 fatal overdoses in the US in 12 months. However, policy experts... <laughs> Say that most survive. What planet are they living on? I've read that. I've read that. You read it? Looking for that. Yeah. Most, mm. most addicts survive. It's staggering, isn't it? For what? It's got to be a joke. Look, but this is own. getting into our stigma and propaganda, isn't it? Yeah. If we actually keep telling everyone that most people resolve this just by snapping out of it, <laughs> just by putting on some big board pants and saying, mm. I'm not going to be a drunk anymore and I'm not going to use drugs anymore. Mm. The very things that we're warned about in the big book that aren't going to work. If we keep propagandising that and we put it all over Twitter and we put it all over Facebook and put it all over YouTube and we give it a nice official logo because it's come from the disease policy or whatever place and the policy people are saying this is our policy because this is what's happening with some imaginary figures, what's the whole world going to start believing? They're going to start believing, oh, they've got a title, they've got a logo, they must be official. One of them's a doctor, one of them's a professor. Oh, it's obviously not as bad as we thought. You know that bloke, John, who we work with? Well, all you've got to do is got to tell him, no, you've got to snap out of it. Snap out of it. And yeah. then he won't need to go to any services because we don't need them. So we don't need to pay for them, do we? Yeah. It's pie in the sky. It's like deliberately painting a problem doesn't it exist. Is. When I read it, I thought, you know what, that is a sum of well, I think I just browse past it and I had to take a second look and look, look, look again. But that's very dangerous to think that you could just put it down to snap out of it because that hunger, that want, that need is not imaginary. Mm. When you've started drinking and you're fighting between you and something else that's inside your head that's saying, fuck it, just drink. Mm. It's not as simple as snap out of it. Mm. It's quite funny though, isn't it? Because there was the war on drugs thing, wasn't there, in America 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whenever it was. Every so often it surfaces, doesn't it? This idea that there's a war on drugs. Why do we need a war? 
on drugs. It implies that addicts are winning. <laughs> we need a, we yeah. need a war then these people in <laughs> crack houses are staggering sure. about public parks <laughs> they're, they're beating us we need a war we're being beaten by that drunk in Erdington oh, <laughs> yeah I suppose it's drugs versus the economy isn't it well we're going to talk about this more anyway aren't we over time a lot of it is about the representation of alcohol and drugs and particularly alcoholics and addicts mm. in the media because like it or lump it a lot of stuff that's out there on Twitter on Facebook on YouTube on the so-called news a lot of it isn't factual a lot of it is oh, opinion based mm. and yet people start trusting these sources and hence we get this ridiculous idea that people have of what a drunk is or what a druggie is and they don't know and it's staggering that degree of denial because one one in ten is it that has an addiction problem at some point in their lives? Of that means some that, sort. It means that in any given family, they're going to know yeah. someone. Everyone I speak to out in my life with the Earthlings, because I do have contact with mm. Earthlings and various things I do out there. Everyone I speak to knows someone or is related to someone who's had a drink problem. The problem is the average person walks down the street and yeah, if they see the guy on the floor that's pissed out his school lying in his own vomit, yeah, mm. that's he's had too much to drink. But the, it's, it's an invisible disease. You can be sitting next to a politician on a train and it could be an alcoholic. You wouldn't know if he's dressed in his suit and stuff like that. So well, what's his name? The Liberal leader. He was mm. an alcoholic, wasn't he? Kennedy. Mm. And I have my suspicions about some of the others. Especially with parties going on at the moment. They've all been partying during Covid. That Mr. That's the irony, isn't Mr. it? Mr. V looks None like of us a were. hangover every no, day. <laughs> None of us were partying during Covid, mm. apart from people that relapsed. Imagine the kind of parties that you'd have had. I mean, I would have noticed Covid or lockdown if I'd been drinking. <laughs> Especially not as they called off-licenses essential services. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we don't want to admit the scale of the problem of addiction, of the misuse of alcohol and drugs. We don't want to admit this. We want to defund services that deal with it. We want to pretend that there's no problem. We want to paint these people as lazy people that need to snap out of it. In the same way as we want to print the unemployed as lazy people that need to go and find imaginary jobs. And we'll keep the off licenses yeah. open because they're but essential we'll keep the services. Because that'll keep people quiet. When they're watching Netflix, they've got nowhere to go and they need to get pissed while they're doing it. Yeah. Bread and circuses, it really oh, is. Yeah, it is. Funny old world, isn't it? Yeah. And I had to look in the mirror on Saturday and concede that I'm 50 which is a frightening thought. <laughs> well, the fact that I got there. That's more the, frightening than anything. The <laughs> fact that I actually made it is more frightening because many moons ago, I had this absurd notion of being some sort of drunken romantic poet or musician. And God, can you imagine the, that? Joining the 27th. <laughs> you could, could, yeah. When that didn't happen, the first time I, I went through rehab, I didn't mean it, I was just doing it to prove something to someone else that I didn't have a problem really. And then... When I hit 40, and I landed in another rehab, not changes, when I came to Birmingham. And I remember waking up that day thinking, why the hell am I not dead yet? I really shouldn't be still here. And then on Saturday morning, I just looked in the mirror and I thought, dear oh. God, you've made it, you are actually still here. 
And the number's quite scary because at 40, I can still think I've got half my life left. Whereas at 50, I can't really, can I? Wow. Well, God might have a final joke at my expense. He's had many jokes at my expense, whatever God is. Many, many jokes. And the idea of me living to be very old is probably another one that's up his sleeve. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because really, God spends all their time plotting against me. Yeah, that's true. how important yeah, I am. Yeah, but he's got many hands. He's got, he's got he's God's capable of everything. God um, moves in mysterious ways. I was going to say, so if you've suddenly realised that you're 50 when you looked in the mirror, how about you come to Istanbul with me one day? You can come back, you'll be completely changed. Lots wise. I'm not really bothered about that, thinking oh, about it. And I think it's more that it feels like a much more significant number than 40 did. And there's also that I am slightly stunned that I'm still here. And also that I've sustained some kind of recovery mm. over time. It's been well over four and a half years now. Mm. And it's almost like second nature that I don't drink. My default mechanisms have changed. I split up with someone before Christmas. And I remember speaking to my mother. And one was saying, she said, but this is the second significant thing that's happened to you, really, since you put the drink down mm. way back when. And I said, well, how's it going to help if I go and get drunk? I lose everything I've got. You're what about everything I've got in the day today? What about the fact that I've got meaningful work to do now? What about the fact that I've got stuff to do at the theatre back because lockdowns and all those restrictions are over? What about all the things I do have? I would lose them all if I got drunk. Instant. That's sanity, isn't it? It's yeah. actual sanity thinking there. <laughs> and the thing that shocked me most, actually, when I was at my family's on Sunday, was actually the realisation that none of them know how long it is since I had a drink because it's just not been needed to be talked about for they're so long now. Because they've got well beyond the we'd better hide the bottles. They've got well beyond the we need to make a point of mentioning it to other people that he doesn't. They've got well beyond all those things that really piss you off in early recovery. And it's almost like it doesn't need to be said. It's times like that when you go to your chest and you pull out every single tool that you've got in the box and you go, right, I'm prepared for this. And you just deal with it, don't you? And it's probably the time when you, you're most tested. I think now, from what I'm hearing you say, which is that you, you've got a realisation of how precious yeah. life is on oh, yeah, so absolutely. many different levels. That's what you get over time with this. And it's what you learn over time. And that value depends on who you are and depends on how you view the world yeah how you're traveling as they say in travel. these <laughs> things that we perceive as having value when we are running like a dog to chase its tail mm. these things that appear to be valuable then are perhaps not the most valuable thing mm. what are the most valuable things these days and what's valuable in what i do in what i say and in what mm. i think and what do i do to help my fellow man and woman mm. Because when I help people in the past, okay, I was at times altruistic while I was drinking, yeah. But there would still be after that, oh, look at all these wonderful things I've done, why are you persecuting me? Yeah. And I still had to muddy the waters by the drink getting in the way of everything. And then I would do things that were positive just so I could deflect from the negatives. Mm -hmm. And there were motives sometimes. Loads of motives. Motives. <laughs> Motifs. motifs. Sometimes there was motives even when you didn't even realise they were motives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a motive for everything. That it's like lying and you don't even need to lie and you don't even realise you've lied yeah. because you're so instinctively lying about everything. Manipulating it. 
He's completely him. incapable of telling the truth. He lied just in case that <laughs> lie might become of use. <laughs> yeah, and you might need another lie. Let's, let's keep that space. It's just natural, isn't it, to build up this like yeah. massive fortress that no one can get into. And, mm. But the but saying that there is a motive for everything, anyway. So there always has to be bushy in, teeth uh, to make your teeth shine. So that's a motive, isn't it? In terms of human interaction, I do this a lot with the drama group I take. It changes, yeah. isn't it? There is usually some form of objective and therefore motive in every interaction we have. Yeah. It's a question of whether it's a conscious motive, whether it's a selfish motive, whether it's a neither here nor there motive. There's a reason why I make a phone call. Of course there's a reason. Of course. But is it a reason that's valid and is it something that's actually a benefit to me and someone else or is it just me forcing an issue? And while there is always a motive, the thing with us as alcoholics and addicts, is that there's always something morally shady about our <laughs> motives. Whereas in recovery, we try and have motives that are pure as the driven snow, but even when they're not, we are at least trying to find positive motives mm. and positive reasons for engaging with other people. A lot of motives are terrible, not manipulating a situation. But it becomes a habit, Ronnie, doesn't it? Without saying a word, I can have a certain dinner cooked for me at a certain time, ready. <laughs> yeah. Just by making a noise here. Devious <laughs> is the word. <laughs> Devoid of conscience. I know. Lazy. All I've got to say is I'm getting a takeaway. And you know what that means? Cooking my roast dinner. <laughs> and you'll be there within 20 minutes. <laughs> have you got the timing right? Do you that is of, shocking. Do you say you're getting a, a takeaway about 3 o'clock knowing that you're going to be hungry about 5? Yeah. Kind of <laughs> So, don't tell me, Neil. You oh, want to go and live at Ronnie's? Yeah. Oh man, I've I've seen seen a, I think there's the queuing up actually. Is there, is there a spare room now? Oh, no. It is a case in point though when you're living with other people, because obviously oh. speaking as we do to the audience that we do, because we want to talk about the dry house experience. It's very easy, isn't it, when you live with other people? Yeah, of it's very easy to allow one person to become the caretaker hmm. of the entire house. It's very easy to just think, oh, so and so will clean that up. We're all very clean in our house, but just sometimes I find it easy just to leave the mess and see how high the, the mess gets. And oh, yeah. And and the basket that just happens to be in the middle of the kitchen floor for some reason. But I could trip over in <laughs> Well, the I used to I get was. so exasperated with any form of mess <laughs> that there'd always come a point where I would just clean the kitchen top to bottom. I do that. I've had food poisoning mm. in the kitchen that's been in a mess like that, and I don't want it again. And it's not happened recently, and it's not really happened while I've been with Changes uh, no. since 2017. But in a dry house experience before that, there were people leaving plates all over the house. It's disgusting. Well, I, and I just pictures. can't live like that. I took pictures off the internet of dead rats, right, which had similar backgrounds to the house, and I actually put them on the WhatsApp group. And similar, look what I've scooped up. Similar pictures. <laughs> False journalism, then. Similar pictures. <laughs> and you're doing our media watch, Ronnie, and you're there faking pictures. And it, I put it on the goose. Is that our backyard? Yes, look, look. Yes, it is our backyard, and that is a dead rat that's been scooped up because somebody's left the bag out. It was really manipulating the situation. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. I lived in a house in Aircott Screen where we had a huge rat in the backyard called Gerald. I oh, just used to pop up once in a while. It was huge. Yeah. And this thing was the size like of a, a cat. cat. Yeah. It wasn't even the slightest bit phased by humans. You'd walk out and you'd just be there munching on the top of the bin. <laughs> We've got a new cat. You'd go, all right, Gerald. And he'd sort of go, Meep, and then just, just, 
And so what I tried to do was... City cats. I tried City to run. push him into the... Because there was a side passage between mm. us and the neighbours. And of course my solution was, I'm going to leave a trail for Gerald <laughs> and then make him move in next door. Because <laughs> the guy used to live his back. <laughs> so, so I managed to manipulate Gerald into next door and then a few weeks later we had no rat and the powers that be said how did you get rid of the rat I said I persuaded him to move next door we've got a cat by the way we've got a cat um, well it belongs from to them. where well they, they built some new houses over the road they've built they put families moving some of these big massive black and white cats sitting on the fence and, mm, what's that sitting Tom. there for and it's been eaten out the bags hence the reason why I took a picture of it Rat and so on and so. So mm. now we start feeding him when he comes and sits there and mm. marches around the perimeter of the fence. And well, cats have their places, don't they? Mm. As the food, and then it goes back over the road, so it's real yeah, owners. They have like about seven homes, the sensible cats. Don't they? As whiskers and everything, proper biscuits. We're feeding biscuits because we've got a nice fur, you see. <laughs> and I was and my flatmate went, no, that's not a stray. We tried to make out it was a stray under the keyboard. So we was hoping it was a stray and we saved it. This thing was like one of them things out of, you know, pruning it Anyway, somewhat miraculously, we were running out of time. Neil, what are you hoping to achieve in the week coming? All right, so um, my dream... On a personal level, what do you want to achieve in the next week or so? I want to. We're not magicians. We can't see into the future. What do you mean I can't see into the future? Nicole, we can't see what. How dare you tell me that? And we also can't change the past. But I want to achieve time travellers. Putting something in my diary. <laughs> okay, that's a reasonable goal. That's not, you know, because I've got a diary and I was really happy to get my diary and I've left it on my desk. Leave it open. Wall planner. Get, I've got a wall planner. A whole year on one wall. <laughs> Is it linked to one of your little gadgets? No, it's no. pen and paper one. Okay, yeah. you can't just. I'm surprised you haven't got a robot to fill it in for you. <laughs> right, you're going to get something in your planner. Okay, I'll put something right, in my planner. what's yours, Ronnie? Right, I'm going to make the TV fit into my room because I brought a new TV. What are you going to do? Shave it? Well, I bought this thing, to, it's meant to go on the wall, drill the wall. I don't want brackets? Yeah, wall bracket for the TV, but the wall doesn't sound very strong. How big is the television? Uh, 58. What? <laughs> Why have you bought a 58 inch television? I had a small TV and it was about 30 inches and then somebody was selling one, a 50 inch one, so oh, I'll have that 50 inch one, so that was 50. And then there was someone selling a 58, so I bought the 58, but I'm not going to buy anymore. That's but bonkers. I can't fit it onto the wall, so I bought a stand and it's just massive and I don't know how to make it into my room, make it look. The whole wall's going to come crashing down. <laughs> but yes, Incidentally, I'm... this is Ronnie when he's well, trying to fit absurdly large televisions into rooms that aren't really designed. I brought for them. a stud finder. Do you do, do one of them things right? And I don't know if it works properly. That's going back to Amazon. I've got lights oh. on the back. It's not the oh, room. for God's sake! It's wicked. I love it. Um, like, you haven't seen my room. It's like a palace, they call it. Ben said, who's this, who's this room? It's like a little palace. <laughs> I've got to come see your room there. We're charging you for the tour. <laughs> it's a palace. We should go in there and do, like, test the video. And then when you get the video recorder there, it's the first place to go and use it. I've it? got 200 <laughs> Well, when I get the video camera, yeah. that's what we'll do. Oh, this is Ronnie's room. Ronnie's room. 200 lights all the way around the perimeter of the room. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's wicked. So what is Richard? I think for the there? next week, I think I want to go swimming three times. Oh, I've heard that. Between now and next week, because I've started swimming again. 
I will good. just be fairly regular on it. Mm. And I'm not having a midlife crisis just because I'm 50. Yeah. <coughs> Honest. <laughs> You're an assumer's body. Someone asked me that at rehearsal last night, is this a midlife crisis? Yeah, I said, no, I don't want a Burt Lancaster swimmer's physique. And then we'll say the anyway, we are bars. actually done for time. No, none of that, no. <laughs> I eat Marmite on everything. Okay. And I use various other, you know, pine nuts and chia seeds and all this stuff. Since I became vegetarian, I've been very conscious of all this stuff. Uh, anyway, we are out of time for this week. So some of the stuff that we talked about last week and some of the stuff that we put in the video, we will be doing next week, obviously, because we'll have Matt back. I know we've been a bit random this week, but do bear with us because we're always planning and we will be with you again soon. And, and if you have heard anything, please reach out. Don't suffer in silence. There's plenty of help out there, including changes. And we're, we're here to help them. So the phone lines are always there. If you contact somewhere on the internet or by phone, just keep doing it because when you're talking to an addict or alcoholic who has been through a treatment process and maintained recovery, they know exactly what you're talking about. And that's why it's where to ring. Have a lovely week, have a wonderful weekend, and we'll be back again next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.